Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Broadcast it live. There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland! You talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone, live. It's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the show. Dan Scott Show slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters Podcast. It's episode 25 of the podcast, if you're keeping score. Very happy to have you with us, as always. And as I always say, we think we've got a good one lined up for you today. Tom Van Hoy will be here, as will Dave Glenn in the second half of the show. I'm going to get into to something that, uh, if you're a college sports fan, whether it's football or basketball, whatever the case may be, you're going to want to listen to this because uh, we're going to get into what the future of college athletics looks like and why so many coaches are leaving for jobs in professional sports, specifically in the sport of football, and how the name image likeness thing is only going to serve to further muddy the waters from that standpoint. We're going to talk about that with Dave Glenn in the second half of the show. Tom and I Probably we'll get into it a little bit. We've got some other things on the agenda as well, so you're going to want to hang around for that. Let me tell you quickly that the podcast is brought to you by Todaro Pizza in uh, Greenville on Markley Street, just down from Floor Field at the West End. Food is fantastic. John and his staff are just incredible. Uh, what they've gone through to make sure that you still have the opportunity to have not only outdoor dining but indoor dining in a safe way during the pandemic and it's worth it because the pizza is bucket list good. That's how good Todaro Pizza is. Find out more at the website, todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O, pizza.com. You can find them on Facebook at Todaro Pizza Greenville. Follow them on Twitter at the same place. And uh, just tell them you heard about them here on the show slash podcast. And don't forget about the uh, Sloan Street location in Clemson as well. Right now, they're just doing pickup and delivery. That's the original Todaro Pizza location here in the upstate. And I'll also remind you that uh, we'd love to hear from you. The Dan Scott Show at gmail.com is the website or is the email address, the Dan Scott Show at gmail.com. And uh, listen, we have some great advertising opportunities, not just here on this show, but uh, for those of you listening on WZLA in Abbeville, stationwide, contact me at that email address. Or shoot the Godfather Benji Greason a note uh, at WZLA Radio uh, at gmail.com, and you'll find out much more about what they have there. You can call the radio station. He would love to hear from you. So would I. Feedback, advertising, whatever it is. 
hop on board with us. All right, to break we go. Tom Van Hoy joins me on the other side of that, and we'll return with more of the Dan Scott Show and Grumpy Old Broadcasters in just a moment. All right, welcome back as we continue here. Actually, just getting things started on the Dan Scott Show slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I am Dan, the guy whose name is on the billboard, and I do that simply because otherwise I would probably forget the name of the show. I can tell you it's episode 25 of the Grumpy Old Broadcasters side of things, and Tom Van Hoy has been here for just about all of those, as well as uh, this radio show on WZLA in Abbeville. How are you, sir? Good. Seems like they ought to have some kind of celebration if we made it to 25 episodes. <laughs> well, celebration or perhaps it's, uh, you know, the Godfather needs to have his sanity questioned, but that's another oh, story man. for another time. So how, how are things in Van Hoyland? Uh, we're good. We're good. We uh, negotiated the car line today, so that's always, that's always a good first step on, on you know, we always used to refer to it uh, as Big Monday because of basketball on ESPN. But as you well know with kids, <laughs> Monday can be a different type of situation sometimes. I was coming back from somewhere last week, and it may have been over to my my daughter and son-in-law's house. I can't remember exactly where it was, but anyway, I was coming on a on a back road away from where I live and wasn't familiar with the, the fact that there was a school in the area and, and it's about it's about 115 okay yep and mm-hmm. and and I noticed that I'm coming up on a backup and, and it's a backup that comes to a stop sign and then makes a right hand turn and the backup is is there and I thought well I wonder if somebody wrecked going around that corner right and, and the and the answer was no. It was another three hundred yards. Line. Another three hundred <laughs> yards up the road after you make that turn was a school that didn't yes. let out until like two thirty. It's one fifteen, and the car line oh, is already backed up <laughs> on the main road that far. So it's cr- it's crazy, Dan. It I'm is. You. you know that. Yeah. One. Well, no, I, I am. You know, a good number of years removed from going through that but i do remember it you know vaguely firsthand but uh, that was a, a stark reminder well, of how people all you want to do is get from point a to point b and I, and I feel sorry sometimes like you said you're just trying to go home and i saw a truck the other day and he's not going anywhere man he's not going anywhere for the next 35 40 minutes because the, the line's not gonna move so. yeah all the tough things we have to negotiate during the course of a day, Dan. You know what I mean? Right, and and has nothing to do with sports, which some people <laughs> right. are listening right now saying. Well, wait a minute, though. One other th- thought there. Did you, did you get rerouted? I mean, you know, your GPS, like we got rerouted on our way back from uh, VMI, right? No, well, actually, actually we, we were able to go around. There was a, a turn lane to go left, and we were able to go around <laughs> the line and, and continue to move forward. So thankfully, I did not get stopped and delayed, but uh, yeah, <laughs> just it, drive on the shoulder. <laughs> yeah, whatever you have to do, man. Whatever you have to okay. do. All right, so we never uh, know where we're going. No, <laughs> most of the time we don't know where we're going. All right, you and I are obviously known for our, our love of the sport of baseball, and uh, we're hoping 
beyond hope that uh, in the not-too-distant future there will be some baseball not only for us to watch but for us to call when the Greenville Drive uh, get rolling again, what we suspect will be at the 1st of May. But at the Major League Baseball level, Tom, uh, the, the commissioner's office uh, late last week made a proposal to the Players Association to delay the start of the season by a month, extend the season by one week, play 154 games, have the universal DH and expanded playoffs. Um, the Players Association is expected to reject that offer uh, as early as today, Monday, February the 1st, and no word as to whether they're going to make a, a counter proposal. But uh, the, the, the bigger issue for me here is that the relationship between owners and players continues to deteriorate and I am becoming more and more afraid and convinced that we are going to see a work stoppage for the first time in 19, since 1994. And I thought after that, we probably would never see another one, but apparently memories are very short. If they didn't learn anything from then, Dan, you're right. And, uh, I don't know, of course that's just some time ago and how many people are still around that are involved and in, in all that. It comes basically comes down to, to money and 154 games and, People that, uh, if you don't remember, back in the day when Roger Maris hit 61 home runs, right? Uh, that was in 162 games and not in 154 when uh, the record previously held had, had been. And that's why they wanted an asterisk. There isn't an asterisk, by the way, in, in the record book. But it, it comes down to money. And it came, you know, last year, all, all the negotiations and back and forth. And, you know, the owners want the expanded playoffs so they can get uh, – more money with with TV now be 14 uh, teams rather than 16 but uh, that's where some of their money comes into play the other part about that is and they'll fall back on uh, uh, in Arizona where it's usually Arizona and Florida where you have uh, spring training Maricopa County there they have all kinds of uh, high levels of cases of, of COVID and they have uh, uh, suggested would like to see that uh, spring training be pushed back and they just keep talking about Florida uh, as well. So I think some of that comes into play. They can fall back on that. Uh, uh, but it, it's going to be like every other negotiation we've seen. It's going to come down to the last minute. And the other part about that is if you move it back, and remember you, we talked uh, last week, I believe, about they're bringing them in, not, not everybody like they always do from organizations in the spring training. They're going to have AA and, and, uh, and AAA, right, come in. And then those below will come in after they leave. So if they do that, they got to push that back. I would think, Dan, if they push back uh, that far, that it's going to push back minor league baseball across the country as well, Greenville Drive, et cetera, to maybe not begin in May when we thought it would. So, I mean, there's all, all kinds of things that are going on, and it usually comes back to money, A, and then B, it comes back to a last-second negotiation. Yeah, and the thing that you have to remember with this particular negotiation is the current collective bargaining agreement expires after this season. So that's why the, the fears of a work stoppage are, are looming uh, perhaps more than ever, because what have we seen in, in, in the last few work stoppages? You, you see uh, either a strike at before the season is over uh, with no 
no uh, agreement in place or you see a lockout that starts that should start the next season the, the owners lock the players out uh, in, in the last year of a term doesn't look like we're obviously going to have a lockout there's not been any talk of a strike I, I don't think the players would do that this season but it puts the 2022 season start in jeopardy as far as I'm concerned and, and the the level of distrust between the two sides is at a point that to me it's at a point that it hasn't been since 1994 i mean for we 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 had a good stretch of time where there was a, a good working relationship between owners and players the the owners finally opened up the books and let let everybody public as well as the players association see exactly what they were doing how much money they were actually making and, and baseball in the early part of the 2000s, the, the first part of the decade, was flying high, man. The, the, the ratings were great. The revenues were just a, a tick below the NFL. Fans were coming to the, to the stadiums in record numbers. Things were going really well. And, and, and it's been a, a steady decline over the last seven, eight, nine years. And, and it's gotten to the point now where there is just a, a complete level of distrust. And this pandemic hasn't helped that. What about style of play and what we're seeing at the major league level right now? How much do you think that affects whether people like baseball or not, or want to watch it and want to go? I, I think it has a tremendous effect on it. In fact, I, I think that's why Rob Manfred and, and maybe one of the good things that he's done since he's been commissioner hired Theo Epstein as a senior advisor, uh, a guy who had a tremendous impact on the way baseball is played now with you using analytics uh, and and as the driving factor in how they put rosters together and strikeouts don't matter and you know home runs are are what everybody's shooting for and, and the little nuances of the game have gone away. Theo Epstein has publicly said, you know what? It's gone too far in that direction. And, and we need to make baseball more exciting again. The ball needs to be in play more. And, and it's a funny thing, Tom, and I, I know what the analytics people say, but there's one irrefutable truth about the game of baseball. You can't score runs if you don't put the ball in play. You know, because a pitcher is not going to walk 27 batters in a row <laughs> and a manager's yeah. not going to allow that to happen. You've got to be able to put the ball in play to make things happen, and the, the style of baseball right now is such that uh, I, I think people are are a little, or more than a little, uh, tired of watching nothing but home runs and strikeouts. I love home runs. I love strikeouts. But I don't like a game that is just home runs and strikeouts. And, and let's let's go back to December when you and I we're in Cincinnati, and we had lunch with Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman. What did he tell us at that lunch that that he uh, – one of the reasons that he retired, he had his health, he felt he was at the top of his game, he had other things he wanted to do, but he doesn't like the game, the way the game is played now. And I think that's a sentiment that is beginning to be uh, felt all across the landscape of baseball fandom. Well, the Kansas City Royals showed what you can do if you put the ball in play a couple of years ago when they, they won a world championship with a, a lower payroll than than uh, many in Major League Baseball. And the, the other factor, I think, too, Dan, is when you start talking about agents and, 
And, um, you, you know, you can say, okay, you can't take into a negotiation the fact that you got the hit the ball to the right side of the infield to get the runner from second to third with less than two outs so that you can get a chance to score a run. What have you done for me offensively, et cetera? I think some of that comes into play as well. Oh, no, there's no question it does, which again is a shame because there's a fundamental aspect of baseball that we are, are losing because of exactly what you're talking about, because of salary negotiations and, and arbitration even more than, than salaries. I, I, I don't think the average baseball fan understands that the bigger issue is not the free agent contracts and, and what you're seeing. The bigger issue is arbitration and, and the amount of money that's awarded there, A, and B, clubs having to go in and players having to go in and, and disparage one another and expect to have a good relationship when they come out of yeah. it if they don't yeah. settle ahead <laughs> of time. I mean, because just what you're talking about is a perfect example of that. You go into an arbitration setting, and, and from a player standpoint, if you're the kind of guy who plays good fundamental baseball and, and you give yourself up to hit the ball to the right side with, with a runner at second and nobody out to set up a scoring opportunity, and, and that's, that's part of your game, well, the, the uh, representative for the owners in that arbitration setting for ownership for that team is going to come back and say, well, this is a guy who couldn't get a hit with runner in scoring position. This is a guy who didn't deliver for us. And it's his own player on his own team. The arbitration process has been a bigger detriment to baseball than free agent contracts ever will be. Well, and then they're going to slide that piece of paper across the table and, and look at look at these numbers. We talk so much about analytics. Heck, I, I don't even know what some of them mean, Dan. <laughs> you know, and uh, that that all comes into play play as well. So yeah, when I yeah, see when a, I see war, the first thing I think of is General Patton. You know, <laughs> yeah, or the song War. Yeah, but yeah. So they they I hope they can work it out. And and the other thing we kind of you know circle on back to minor league baseball, and you know there's still a what 120 teams out there that are still waiting to find out when they are going to get to play and, and the effect that uh, those teams have on their communities as well. Uh, discussion we've had before with, with the dropping of a number of, of minor league teams and you know, some of these teams have been in their communities for, you know, 40, 50 years and, and, and they've gone away. So uh, it's an, it's an ever changing dynamic in that regard in terms of what's happening below the major league level. But that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle when you're, you got to get the you got to get it taken care of at a, at a higher level before before it kind of tri- trickle down theory so to speak in baseball. This is uh, the Dan Scott Show here on WZLA in Abbeville and episode twenty five of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Dave Glenn will join us in the second half of the show. We've we've got some some uh, pretty good stuff we're going to get into with Dave based off of a conversation that uh, we had at Furman with some fans and our athletic director Jason Donnelly concerning name and image likeness and, and some of the other things going on. But just kind of staying on the baseball theme, Tom, uh, w- was looking uh, and, and watching uh, both uh, with intent and with uh, more than a, uh, a little bit of a tear in my eye that uh, college baseball is getting ready to ramp mm-hmm. up. Uh, you're, you're, see, you're seeing conferences release schedules now, uh, teams getting ready to, to open the season in a couple of weeks, and right now it looks like everything from a collegiate standpoint is going to come off 
on time with maybe in, in some places some differences in the way the schedule is done, but it looks like college baseball is going to come off on time. Well, it's nice to see. Of course, it, it all came to a screeching halt last year. I know you and I had had broadcast, uh, I don't know, was it Quinnipiac or somebody yep. like that. And we had College of Charleston coming in that weekend on March the 13th. And, you know, it, it was over at that point. And, and so, uh, again, it goes back, and we talked a lot about it too with, in basketball this year, is just appreciate the opportunity to play the game. I think, I think you took it for – I don't really think you took it for granted – but uh, I think you understand uh, just the, the opportunity to play. And right now, anyway, with college baseball, and again, ACC, SEC, going to be you just take a look at the preseason top 25, and, and you'll see a lot of those teams from the South. I don't know if we'll see those. Uh, you remember when uh, we did Clemson a couple of years ago when, when Maine would come down and some of those teams, and, and they'd be gone for, for two weeks, like during the, the uh, spring break. And, and actually, I think it was Maine or one of them, where they delayed, didn't they delay the start of their school year so that they could have the spring break, I think a little bit later, maybe a little bit longer so that they could play some of the games in the spring. I don't know. I think we're going to see a team taking off seven to 10 days. We'll see, but uh, hopefully get some games in. And, you know, we were kind of joking the other day on the way back from the basketball game. And, you know, we're coming up on, uh, you know, Valentine's Day. That's about about when it started. And sometimes you'd have to have those hand warmers and then you know, heaters and the press box, you yeah. know, kind of tough guys that we are. But I, uh, yeah, I, 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 used up to, and, I used to be very macho about that, that I was going to keep that press box window open regardless because of, the you know, the atmosphere you get. And there, there's something to that, obviously. Uh, you know, four or five years ago, uh, and, and this is what age will do to you. I, I decided macho goes out the window. I've got a crowd mic that'll take care of that for me. I'm closing those windows and I'm staying warm uh, if it gets, you know, to a certain uh, lack of degrees, we'll say. Uh, if, if it's really cold, I'm shutting the windows and, and I'm not uh, too proud to say so. Well, those that uh, <clears throat> use duct tape for specific reasons, that's <laughs> kind of the way I use it to keep keep that cold air Coming out, I always remember this. Mitch Holdis is the play-by-play broadcaster for the Chiefs, and he'll be doing the Super Bowl uh, on radio this this weekend. And he was one of those guys that one time told me the same thing, Dan. He goes, and and they, I'm keeping that window open, and you know, I don't care. I got to get the sound of the. I said, you got a crowd mic. I said, you know. <laughs> so anyway, that's the, the difference in philosophy there of getting the real feel of the game. I yeah, guess. and doing doing games in December in Kansas City can be uh, no. a little bit of a challenge, right? To keep, it, to keep that window be, open. No so. question about that. All right, let's take a break. Uh, we will come back. By the way, I. I, uh, I little shameless uh, plug here and you know kind of hanging out a a you know will broadcast for food sign I do have the blessing of our athletic director now that Furman's baseball program is no longer in existence to uh, to find and do some freelance college baseball this spring so I uh, just kind of a little note out there for anybody listening Tom and I are available if you need us we are available and have the <laughs> blessing of our ad to to do some work all right let's take a break we'll come back Dave Glenn will join us on the other side and we'll uh, dive into the uh, the dichotomy of college athletics, particularly college football. Now, why are more college football coaches bolting for jobs in the NFL and how the name image likeness plays into that, and it may play into it more in the future? We'll do that on the other side. When we come back, stay with us.
Dan Scott Show continuing, episode 25 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters uh, in a hybrid world. We try to be a, a hybrid broadcast here, and I, I don't know if that means that uh, we just don't do one thing well because we're trying to do too much. We'll kind of let you decide that, but we have fun. Uh, that's, I guess, is the bottom line, and part of that fun is, as always, welcoming in the guy who joins us this part of the show and podcast every week. He is Dave Glenn who, low those many years ago, founded accsports.com and now is a contributor for the athletic.com and the Athletic Carolina subsite. And now officially, I guess, more than any other point in time since we've been talking about it, we can call him Professor Glenn because the first week of classes are behind him. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Dan. Good to see you and Tom again, as always. Uh, yeah, you know, I wish we had been rolling uh, just for my own purposes the, the previous 15 minutes or so of conversation we had because that would have been a great class for somebody to have heard. But uh, maybe one day we'll, we'll actually uh, sit and talk about some of that stuff as well. But uh, it's good to see you. And, uh, and coming off of your first week of classes at UNC Wilmington, huh? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I uh, got to see the youngsters face-to-face for the first time after a whole lot of back and forth. You know, we're living in a Zoom world, even in the academic setting, where a chunk of my classes are going to be Zoom only. But I asked them, are you at the point where you actually look forward to seeing human beings and, and seeing somebody teaching at the front of the class physically in person at least once in a while? And I don't know if they were giving me their truth serum answers, but the overwhelming majority said yes. After a lot of months of online only this and online only that, my class is only once a week. So they're looking at that as just sort of a once a week diversion to see fellow students. And, you know, it is different to engage with someone face to face. And I can get kind of animated up there at the front of the classroom. So it comes across much more when you're in a classroom. I think, than it does if you're just all visiting online. And, and Tom, we know how this works. They're, they're happy to, to see people and, and Professor Glenn now. Let, let's see how they are in two months, if they still enjoy seeing Professor Glenn face-to-face, right? <laughs> well, I think the one thing we know is uh, Professor Glenn is going to tell them, tell it like it is, right, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> this is true, Tom. I, am, I've, I told them right up front, every other instructor, lecturer, professor in this building has infinitely more academic experience than I have. And you should listen to all of them because they've been there, done that. When it comes to how the real world works, uh, I (laughs) hope that I can provide an uncommon level of expertise and experience just because, you know, as Dan said, I created that magazine and website. I've run my own syndicated radio show. I've hired hundreds of people for the businesses that I've owned and occasionally had to fire somebody. So I just know how the real world works within sports media. So we'll get into the philosophical stuff, but you can bet I will figuratively, figuratively crash them across the forehead with my version of how the truth and how the real world works, because I think that's, uh, you know, just as important as especially the seniors get ready for the real world. Yes. Rubber meets road in Mr. Glenn's sports media class. Hey, uh, I want to get into some big picture stuff, but first, I think we'd be a little remiss since since you are the uh, the ACC guru that we turn to. Um, the ACC, from a leadership standpoint, officially now is in a new era because John Swafford has officially retired. 
Yeah, and Jim Phillips is a guy that everybody's very excited about. You know, as the you guys and I have talked about the changing nature of commissioners, where you know the Pac-12, which is now in the process of breaking up with their commissioner Larry Scott, he's on his way out. His background had been in professional tennis, uh, or the current Big Ten commissioner Kevin Warren. His background had been as an NFL executive. They had little, if any, experience in the college sports culture. And for most of our lifetimes, of course, the next commissioner was going to be somebody from the college sports culture, where Jim Jim Phillips, former athletic director at Northwestern, fits that description. A lot of people thought he'd be the next Big Ten commissioner before Kevin Warren was hired. And I think there's been enough indigestion in the Big Ten under Warren and definitely in the Pac-12 under Larry Scott that the old way of doing things, having someone who's been not just in the sports trenches, uh, not just experience with sports business, Kevin Warren had plenty of that in the NFL, Larry Scott had plenty of that in in professional tennis. There is something about having lived and breathed the college culture that I think makes you better prepared to be a quality commissioner. And John Swafford, of course, came from UNC, the athletic director there before he took the commissioner job. Jim Phillips is more in that vein. So John is, I think, rightfully being celebrated as somebody who did a lot more right than he did wrong and left the ACC, not in a perfect place. We've discussed financially the ACC has fallen significantly behind the SEC and the Big Ten in the financial pecking order, but in a good place. And when dominoes started falling years ago in realignment and expansion, uh, he did some pretty good reactions in finding Virginia Tech and Syracuse and Miami and Louisville uh, and Boston College and Notre Dame, et cetera, to, to make sure that the ACC remained one of the best leagues in America. So, uh, yeah, some are nitpicking his resume. Others are kind of talking about him as a godlike figure. You know me. I, I kind of see both sides of the story. And, again, I think he, he did a lot more right than wrong as he steps into a well-deserved retirement. Dave, I don't know if it uh, has changed over the years, but you've been around it a lot. But this is a position where you've got to deal not only with the ADs, but the presidents, chancellors. They may not have the same, uh, I don't know, uh, final situation uh, that uh, that they do have. So he's got to be able to, you got to have somebody that can negotiate between those two that are going to make an ultimate decision. For sure. And Jim has been on a lot of NCAA committees where he's already rubbed elbows with certainly ACC athletic directors. I'm not sure to the, what degree also ACC universally, you know, chancellors and presidents and things of that sort. But, you know, you guys know the deal at Northwestern. You want to talk about a tricky place to win successfully. They were one of the worst football programs for much of my childhood in the Power Five leagues. And remember, they were one of the last Power Five bas- men's basketball teams to never have made the NCAA tournament until Chris Collins, formerly of Duke, led the Wildcats there a couple years ago. So Jim Phillips has taken Northwestern's facilities from a bad place to a great place. That requires a lot of working with the academic side, the business side. And of course, he is the athletic director, so he had a strong staff working for him. But Pat Fitzgerald has put football on the right track. Chris Collins has put men's basketball on a much better track. Northwestern's facilities have gone from poor to outstanding by Big Ten uh, standards. And remember, 
kind of like a Stanford and a handful of others, they don't exactly bend their academic requirements as much as a lot of other schools. So if you can be as successful as Jim Phillips was at Northwestern, again, the tumbleweeds of college sports for decades, and do all of those things the right way, that means you have the ability to work with a lot of different constituencies. That means you raised money with boosters who might have been frustrated by those years and decades of losing. You know how to hire coaches. You know how to keep your chancellor or president happy. You know how to work in the business world. So I'm overwhelmingly impressed by his background. He did work at Notre Dame for a while uh, and knows some people there. He knows a lot of ACC coaches and ADs from his time on committees. I think it's a great hire. And in fact, guys, I think if they don't already see this, uh, I think the Big Ten is going to rue the day that they went against the recommendation of a lot of their own people and went to get this Kevin Warren guy from the National Football League rather than the guy, Jim Phillips, who was right under their nose as a sitting AD in the Big Ten. And the Big Ten's loss is going to be the ACC's gain, I believe, just given his people skills, business skills, communication skills, and really leaving successful fingerprints just about everywhere he's been. Yeah, we don't have time to, to go down this particular rabbit trail today, so maybe we can table this for uh, next week. But I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the old-line ACC people react to having a guy from outside the ACC footprint as the commissioner because the Atlantic Coast Conference – has pretty much in its history, David, stayed within the framework uh, of the conference footprint to hire for that position. It's going to be intriguing to see how they react to this quote-unquote outsider coming in. I agree, and we'll leave the deeper dive for later, but one short sentence I would add in the interim is this adjustment will cause less indigestion now than it would have back when this was a closer-knit eight- or nine-team league where everything used to run through Greensboro. So, yes, indigestion, but not nearly as much as 15 or 25 years ago. I, I would agree with that, and as we said, maybe we can spend some time on that next week. Bigger picture, um, we had a Zoom with uh, our athletic director at Furman and, and some Furman fans on Friday, and he was talking about the, uh, the the name image likeness and, and how that's just going to totally change the landscape of of college athletics. Uh, Clay Hendricks, the football coach, was there. He was talking about you know the the new transfer rule that's coming up and how one person at a at a school much larger uh, than than Furman referred to it as unrestricted free agency in, in the world of college athletics. And, and Jason Donnelly, our athletic director, David made. Uh, mention of of something that we have seen uh, happening in the world of college football here of late, and, and that is college football assistant coaches bolting for jobs in the National Football League, and, and for many of, of those reasons uh, being that they don't want to deal with recruiting anymore and some of the other things that go along with that. Do you get the sense that uh, as much as we've seen of that already that we're going to see more of that as the name image likeness um, proposal becomes the rule of law in whatever form it ultimately takes? I think the short answer is yes, we're going to see more of it. And what's going on here, Dan, is one, the NFL is a bigger, stronger economic model than college sports is. There's just no doubt about it, right? 
Uh, I mean, one way to put it is that the NFL is a $16 billion industry right now, but that's spread over 32 franchises. College sports, believe it or not, is also, you could say it's a $16 billion with a B dollar industry as well. Very similar numbers, oddly enough, as the current version of the National Football League. However, that is spread among many sports, hundreds of schools. So even though the bottom line billions number is similar, the NFL is a sturdier, wealthier, more lucrative place to be. And that is reflected in head coaching salaries, uh, assistant coaching salaries, other staff positions, although college sports has narrowed that gap in our time covering it over the last few decades. The other part of the equation that jumps out to me is the fear of the unknown. And so they know they have lucrative landing places if they decide to jump to the pros. What they don't know for sure, we're all guessing and imagining, is how the recruiting process works in the name image likeness world. Remember, we don't have the rules yet. We do know that universities are not allowed to be involved in finding this third party money for their athletes. A lot of people forget that. The university has to make sure everybody's following NCAA rules, but there's not a coach or someone else on staff seeking out a chance for an athlete to get paid for being on a billboard or get paid for showing up at an autograph session or get paid for having his or her own summer camp or something along those lines. But you're right in that a lot of coaches are worried about what the recruiting world will look like given the unknowns. We don't have the rules yet. We don't know to what degree people are going to violate the spirit of the rule or the letter mm-hmm. of the law once this new system comes into place. And remember, it's scheduled to come into place into reality later this calendar year. So I don't know how that's going to shake out. They don't know how that's going to shake out. But some of them are imagining a world where just the the nature of recruiting becomes less desirable for them. I mean, can you imagine um, you're already trying to sell your university versus somebody else's, and that involves facilities and playing time and what your game day looks like on a Saturday in a non-pandemic world and all even, you know, what color are your uniforms and how pretty are your cheerleaders and a thousand other things. And now there's going to be this new layer. Hey coach at school. So-and-so they told me there's a booster who runs a fill in the blank company who says there's they're not allowed to promise anything, but there's a really good chance if I go there, you know, I'm going to be on the billboard by interstate 95 and I'm going to pick up, $50,000 a year in endorsement money, right? Again, the schools aren't allowed to be in a middleman in that equation. How will it unfold? Who knows? And and recruiting is a seedy enough process as it is that a lot of folks are afraid this is just going to add layers of seediness to it. Uh, It boils down to me how much, of course, money matters to everybody to one degree or another. But you guys have a front row seat for somebody like Dabo Sweeney, who is wired not only as a great football coach, but to mentor young men. That is part of who he is. And the NFL does not offer that in nearly the same way. Yes, you're still helping young men toward their professional and personal goals, but it is much more of a business. It is much less interpersonal. And any of these coaches at the college level who still feel tied to that molding young men concept I think those are the ones they're going to put up with whatever change is coming. Uh, And it's the guys who were kind of on the fence that may be looking to jump to the NFL. All 
All right, Dave. So in theory, you can't have a coach say, hey, you know what? The used car dealer down here, he'll be able to take care of you. But will, and again, state laws are different. You, you talked about it a moment ago. Don't want to get the federal government involved. Will the athletes then have representation that, hey, I've got 50,000 Instagram followers, Twitter, and all that kind of stuff to uh, mention how great your cheeseburger is? I mean, how, how will that work, do you think? Well, it's tricky because little by little, we have allowed college athletes to have representation more often in more contexts. Remember, it used to be, you know, don't get caught having lunch with a, an agent, even if you're just talking about next year, because that looks bad and smells bad and might be a violation. We, we've already carved out a lot of exceptions to that. And I think we're just going to take another uh, step down that road. Now, you're still not allowed to sign with an agent the way remember zion williamson was accused of doing during his one year at duke um but my understanding is you will be allowed to have advisors just like baseball and other players have had advisors heading into the draft etc and just getting information on uh, the possibility of your marketing opportunities you know, Zion's problem was that somebody in his inner circle signed papers while, while he was still in the mid, middle of his freshman season for the Blue Devils. That's still in the, the courts, right, as we speak. Um, so, yeah, there's going to be a, another step down that road that some view as semi-professionalism. Um, but but uh, these, these youngsters, their, their main phone calls to their universities will be about compliance issues. How do I do this without breaking the rules? But their main calls in terms of seeking this third party party money are going to have to go to outsiders. And a lot of people are wondering what those outsiders are going to look like. And until the, we see the new rules, or as you guys know, some states already have rules that are going to kick in this summer. If Congress or the NCAA don't give a federal approach, nationwide approach, what the rules are going to look like, you know, Florida and others already have rules ready to kick in. And, and it would be a weird, wild, wild west, 50 different states with 50 different sets of rules for what athletes are allowed to take or what they're not allowed to take. And that's why everybody is hoping there's a federal approach. But we still don't know whether the NCAA is going to draw that up. As we discussed a few weeks ago, they kicked that can down the road when they were supposed to announce something or a vote earlier this, uh, this past month. Uh, so it's, it's a guessing game. And, and part of that guessing game is the answer to your question, Tom. He is Dave Glenn from uh, theathletic.com, and uh, he joins us to talk ACC and big-picture NCAA stuff every week here on the Dan Scott Show and Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. So we, we have this this uh, flurry of, of coaches leaving for the NFL and the anticipation that there are going to be more, and yet the other side of that coin, you referenced the team here in, in our backyard where Tom and I are, the, the Clemson Tigers, Dabo Sweeney has been able to hold on to Brent Venables as his defensive coordinator and Tony Elliott as his offensive coordinator when both could have been head coaches, especially Venables because he's older and been doing it longer, could have been head coaches uh, several times over a number of years ago. True, they get paid an incredible amount of money. Venables, I think, is the highest paid assistant coach in in all of college football or, or very close. But there's got to be more to it than that. So while the rest of college football seems to have this 
the, this uh, fight or flight mentality, how has Dabo Sweeney been able to keep this staff continuity, especially with high-profile guys like Venables and Elliott? Yeah, Dan, that's a great question. I think there's at least three branches to that tree, and I'll try to hit them quickly. And I think this is one of the rare, you know, the real world for us as non-coaches or, or on the outside of college athletics does not often reflect how their worlds go inside college football in this case, but I think this is an example. If you, A, pay people well, as you mentioned, B, treat people well, and C, give them a chance to be associated with something special. Whatever that's in, in sports, it's often winning, competing for championships, breaking through to win those championships. In the real world, and I've run my own businesses for a long time, if you pay people well, treat people well, and allow them to be associated with something special, however you define that, they're not going to stay forever, but more people are going to stay longer, period. And if you don't pay them well, don't treat them well, or you're not a part of something special, guess what? They might have one eye uh, or one foot out the door. And I think Dabo is three for three. The success is obvious. The money is obvious. Clemson pays its coordinators much better than most. Clemson pays its other assistants much better than most. They kind of set the bar in the ACC for those budgetary matters. And they're really right up there with the top programs nationally, just as they are in wins and losses up there with the top programs nationally. And it hasn't always been the case that Clemson or ACC schools would keep up with the, the SEC and the Big Ten who do have more money overall. And sometimes that allows those programs to steal your best assistant coaches so Dabo's three for three there. He, he's a charismatic, personable, personable person uh, that most people really love and feel loyalty to. And then as you know, Dan, the other thing I would add, other than Dabo doing all those things right, these guys are smart. That if they took a job where it's very difficult to win, despite their individual coaching brilliance, we all know, that we could look at every league and say, these are the places that it's a little easier to win in this sport. These are the places that it's really hard to win in this sport. And these are the places in between. They know that if you take a job on one of those smaller budget, uphill battle, no history, you know, limited institutional support. Well, if you're fired three years later, you know, would you rather have the job security at seven figures as a coordinator at Clemson where you're winning all the time, your, head, your boss likes you, you like him, and you keep moving? If you double your salary to take a head coaching job, but you're fired three years later, well, you know, you, it starts to become a closer call, Right. Uh, and I think that's a part of the real world as well. But credit to Clemson. Uh, staff stability has been one of the many, uh, just many things that Dabo has done right. And that's why they're one of the best programs in the country and uh, in one of, in the midst of one of the greatest runs in ACC football history. Yeah, Tom, you, you, and, know, I'll Dave, never, I you and I will never have to worry about making that decision, will we? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we won't. But, you know, I think one other aspect, too, and I know we've all been around different programs, sometimes different parts of the country, and you see, uh, I mean, I've known assistant coaches that have had 10 different jobs. I mean, it's a little bit different now. If you get to the highest level, you're going to get paid a, a good amount of money, and you may stay. But most of the time in broadcasting, the same way, you sometimes have to jump to make more money, get into a better position. And sometimes it's a family decision that's made as well. If you have kids a certain age and 
And we all kind of know how that works to a certain extent. So I think some of that comes into play as well. But I think going back to your point about, you know, you're in, you're in an environment, you know, that's going to be stable. You've got a great opportunity there that maybe sometimes you you take a look at that and, and that's the defining line. I think you're putting your finger, Tom, on another way that the real world matches that part of the college football world where one of my favorite sayings as a transplanted northerner uh, long ago to the south is, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? So in the old days, if as an assistant coach, you were just barely making ends meet and you got Mm -hmm. another opportunity halfway across the country, of course you had to consider it. And mama was probably saying, yeah, we should consider it. If you're to the point where you like your boss, like your schools, you know, where your kids are in school, and of course the money is infinitely better today. And then you just get the chance for a slight promotion when you have this financial security that you couldn't have dreamed of maybe as a younger coach, absolutely it matters a lot more. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If you like your house, your boss, your neighborhood, your paycheck, your friends, your kids are happy in their schools, it's going to take more than a slight raise. It's going to take more than a slight promotion. You know, coordinator to head coach, that's a big leap that becomes a different type of decision. But if you're mostly happy where you are and so is your wife and family, there's a heck of an incentive to just keep riding the wave you're on rather than starting over. And those, that equation has changed a lot as college sports money has grown from decade to decade, now you can be a no-name assistant coach and still be paid pretty darn well. And that's at least one incentive to stay exactly where you are. And talking about transplanted sayings, there are three people on this Zoom who have all lived in parts of the country where the word barbecue is both a noun and a verb, right? <laughs> that's correct. That's <laughs> so, true. That is correct. So go, go hey, figure that out. In Pennsylvania, honestly, Dan, barbecue was – only uh, a verb. Exactly. In Pennsylvania. Yeah, if you're going to, your bar- uh, I, barbecue is get, is grilling out up there. Correct. So. Correct. I, <laughs> I mean, I learned that lesson, to be clear, a long time ago. <laughs> That's good. And hey. I, I've, I've even had barbecue companies as, as big time sponsors on my show where I was taken to a Smithfield's chicken and barbecue and shown how they prepare the barbecue every day. So, man, you want to talk about a transplanted Philly boy with his eyes wide open. I've seen it from every angle now. Yeah. Hey, hey, Dave, 30 seconds on uh, ACC basketball. Uh, NC State and Virginia Tech have been hit with some significant roadblocks here lately. Yeah, and it's a shame because Kevin Keats and the Wolfpack are trying to get to the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's, it's year four for him. Fans have high expectations. Devin Daniels, their best player, just tore his ACL out for the season. They were a bubble-type team to begin with, and now obviously it's going to be harder to make that March Madness dream come true. And then in a different way, Virginia Tech, I think, has shown they just beat Virginia. The Hokies are one of the top five teams in this league, and they lost, at least for now, one of their best players. Tyrese Radford had a DWI uh, concealed weapon complicated series of charges. He is suspended indefinitely as a guy who plays 30-plus minutes for Mike Young up in Blacksburg. So that we'll see how that goes for the Hokies. Again, they beat UVA without him, but it would be a shame if uh, – you know, bad decisions prevented the Hokies from getting to an even higher place. All right, tell people how they can follow more of what you do. 
on Twitter at David Glenn Show, online, theathletic.com, where Dan Scott and more than one million others are subscribers to that high-end content in the sports world. Also, accsports.com, if you want to check out uh, that website I created long, long ago. Everything you could possibly want to know about football, basketball, and recruiting at least from the Atlantic Coast Conference perspective, is right there at accsports.com. Yeah, and you know, I, I have a certain feeling of power and, and think I should be commanding a little more respect from you now, Dave, because my $1 a month is helping to pay your salary. That's exactly right, man. <laughs> I can feel it. That's that's uh, that's half a cup of coffee in today's world, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe not even. <laughs> I love that's it. the 30 seconds you get from Dave. Say what? Well, that's the 30 seconds. I was going to say that's the 30 seconds you get from Dave. Exactly. (laughs) For a dollar. All right, guys. Uh, We appreciate your loyalty, Dan. We'll we'll do it. We'll do it again next week. Thanks. All right, guys. Take care. All right. We'll take a break and come back and wrap it up right after this. Stay with us. Back for a quick wrap on things on uh, this edition of the Dan Scott Show slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Thanks to uh, Dave Glenn uh, for continuing just to to knock it out of the park when it comes to his thoughts and his uh, intelligent conversation on the NCAA in general, the ACC in particular. Thanks to Tom Van Hoy for continuing to join us. I'll remind you again that the podcast portion of this uh, entity is brought to you by Todaro Pizza in uh, Greenville on Markley Street and also the Sloan Street in Clemson location, todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O-Pizza.com is the website. Check them out today uh, for all the operating hours, the full menu, and and all of that good stuff. Thanks to them, and uh, thanks to you for continuing to support us. I'll just continue to encourage you as a uh, listener, whether it's on the radio or on the podcast, please share this. Uh, if you're listening on uh, WZLA and Abbeville and Greenwood and those areas, uh, let the Godfather know that you enjoy it. And uh, don't forget, we've got some uh, really good advertising deals that we uh, can uh, help your business with, very affordable deals as well. Share the podcast, and we'll look forward to seeing you back here again next week. Until then, for the gang, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you, and so long, everybody. everybody.